are looking at Rav Yitzchak Hutner. Okay, Rav Hutner was the Rashib of Chaim Berlin for many years, and a very, very interesting thinker. Avner, good to see you, Avner. The host of... Oh, and uh, wait, we have Re- Rebecca from Philadelphia, right? Hi, see you again. You're Elias and Barbara's mom? Yes. Terrific. Okay, I like. I, I'm teaching twins. I imagine I have a son in Orenka and a daughter in Lindemount. Quite a treat. They okay. love classes. They're really Thank you. But we always have a question whether it's okay if I'm discussing like Syrian culture, if you guys count because you're from Philadelphia. What do you think? Do, do you count if you're not from Brooklyn? Our roots are from Flatbush. Okay, so. fine. So you count. <laughs> okay. So uh, in any case, Rav Hutner, most of his svarim are on the Chagim. Right, you have Pachar Yitzchak on Yom Kippur, Pachar Yitzchak on Sanke. There is a Sefer that occurs in articles. Actually, it's the most interesting one. It's Pachar Yitzchak Igrochim And we are going to look at it tonight. So the question here is about rabbinic authority. And we're going to see something a little bit surprising. Okay, I never met Rav Hunter personally. I mean, my father once was on the lot, on here, or did once go to hear him give Shir in Chaim Berlin. But he apparently, in person, was pretty authoritarian. Like, he liked uh, having a very strong control of the yeshiva. Because that's who he was. But what I find very interesting is that that's not always borne out in his letters. So even though you might think, oh, and also, I should also say this, Rafa was uh, very clearly in the Haredi world. And I think it's a fair stereotype to say that there's a greater sense of rabbinic authority than the modern Orthodox world, a stronger sense of the rabbi making more decisions for the community or for people. So you might think, oh, Ravunder, I know he was somewhat authoritarian. He was a Haredi rabbi. Surely you're all the authority. And we're going to look at two letters and we're going to get different, very different conclusion from great thinkers are more complex than uh, than what you might imagine simple stereotype. Okay, so here, let's get started. Let me just see if I have this opened up because I want to show you the source. Okay, give me one second. Okay, here we go. Where, oh, here's the source. Okay, great. Okay, so now we should be able to do share screen. Let's see if this works. And share screen. Ah, there we go. Okay, terrific. Did that work? Uh, no, that did not work. Okay, let me try that one more time. Mm. All right, last try, and I'll feel what I'm doing wrong here. All right, we might have to do this without me sharing the screen, but uh, you'll see. Why is this not working? Okay, so you know what? I'm going to just read it to you. Okay, you'll have to trust me that I'm not making up uh, a winner. Okay, so a winner has two letters that very much touch on this uh, on this issue. Okay, one letter, uh, I'm trying to think which one, there are two different themes, which both were being authority. Okay, so let's start with, you know, let's go with uh, this one first. Okay, so somebody clearly uh, asked a funder a personal question. Now, this is not, in some books of letters, you get both question and answer. In a funder's book of letters, you only get the answer. So I'm going to read it. Just bear with me. So what did the fellow write? The fellow wrote, if anyone to look this up, it's letter 135. He says, The time has come to weigh in the scales of the intellect 
all the angles are gormim shalabaya. It's the problem. So again, what is this fellow right? By Rebbe or Fudner? That's some issue, some problem. And I'm going to put all the factors on the scale of the intellect. And then, you know, classic analysis. Let's say here's the four arguments in favor. Here's the few arguments against. Let's put them on the scale and see what happens. Okay, so Rafutner says, now this is interesting. I wonder if there's a, a I think this is a pattern of Rafutner. Before he criticizes, he says something nice. I think that is a pattern, a good rule for life. And also, I've pointed this out in the past, Rafutner loves style. So most rabbis will only comment on content. He'll comment on style. says, I really enjoyed the hirut hanituach, clarity of your analysis, umi signo no, and from the signon and your style. So first of all, praises the guy. He says, you, you analyze the problem, and I loved your style. But then he says, I'm not getting involved in your question. Why? Because the fundamental principle, I am thinking differently. I mean, our funders basically within framework. And I actually think framework is not the right framework. What does the vendor mean? So he goes back to the letter. Remember what line did we quote? Time has come to win scale. The owner says that's a mistake. What should you have written? Going to weigh it in the scales of your will. Meaning, this is not about analysis. This is about will, desire, intuition, and that's something that again is not just a question of the intellect. So we'll see where Fender's going to make a second point. We're very intellectual people. It's a function of, of the intellect. And I think a great example, I think, would be marriage. Now, I, I agree. I'm not saying that uh, logic has no role to play. Of course it does. Like if a 20-year-old guy tells me he's interested in a 50-year-old woman, I'll probably tell him I think it's a bad idea. But wouldn't you all agree, though, at the same time, it's not all logic. It has a checklist of eight tools. The, the potential woman or man meets all eight things. You just don't feel it when you're out with them. So at some point, it doesn't matter. It does not matter that person meets the checklist that is irrelevant. And either you feel the love or you don't. Right? It's not a purely intellectual argument. You can see this is my parents online. I think it will mind. My parents are wonderful people. They succeeded a tremendous amount in life. My father claims that he's big, she do him. And his argument is because he's just too logically. Right, he's always, he has no intuition in this regard. It's always, well, here's two reasons why there's a good chance. Right, you said, you okay with that? Maybe real start to have a more intuitive approach to endeavor. Uh, okay, so it, I think once you say that, it changes the kind of question. changes how you should think about it. And maybe marriage is not the only example of this phenomenon. Maybe examples of this phenomenon also. Now let's go back to the letter. And what Hunter says, this is just great. Not only does it mean that you have to switch frameworks, but there's another implication. Says our footner, I could certainly give you good counsel. You could place it. I'm on the scale. Oh, beautiful. Great insight. Let's say it was all analytical. It was all logic. So our footner is a very smart guy. So come to him and he'll give you a logical answer. So logically, this is a good idea. Logically, this is a bad idea. Rabbal says, Rabbanner, but we don't have a hold on so far. Says Rabbanner, I can't advise you about your inner world. Imagine you say to Rabbanner, do I love the girl? 
Sir says, yes, you do. Though that's silly. What, how can you answer that question? Aren't you right? Only the physical can answer. Only the person can answer the question. It's about the world. Because sometimes, even if we're not rabbis, we're always tempted to give an answer. If we ask the question, we better we give an answer. I can't answer your question. But instead I'm not giving you counsel. I'm not telling you what to do. You should make a good choice. Okay? Oh, sorry. Okay. I see that there are problems with my audio. Avner, what do you think I should be doing? I don't know. Okay. Are you having trouble hearing me? Yeah. It, it, it comes in and out. Okay. Is everybody having the same issue? Yeah, it's it's, uh, it's hard to follow because every few seconds it like it goes low and then your voice comes back. I'm not sure what it is. Okay, uh, I'm just trying to think if I should switch locations or try to get closer to the ramp. Um, I'm going to go on for now and I'll do my best to apologize uh, profusely. I'm not really sure what to do. I'm not sure when my new computer should be worse. It should be better. All right, let's give it a shot. So in any case... Um, can't give advice, right? So now we have limitation one. First limitation on rabbinic authority, but it's not an issue of logic, it's an issue of reasoning. It's an issue of the inner desire. But that is limitation one. Okay, we are now going to go on to section two. Tell me, Alabama, are you struggling to hear me or you're okay? No, quite, quite struggling. Uh, I'm sorry. Ask you then, ask Naomi. What was the answer? All right, Sometimes it's very Renee. clear. What? It's very clear at times, and then we lose you for about two seconds. Yeah. Okay. You fade out and you fade back in. How frequently? It's probably like a 60-40 ratio when we could hear you, Tony. We can. That's not pretty good. That's not good, actually. Now yeah. let's switch locations and see if it helps. Havea Malin Batora. All right. I think I'm closer to the router now. Is it let's see if it makes a difference? Okay. We are now gonna go to the second letter. That was the first letter, which is again 135. We are now going to letter number two. Okay, here we go. Let's find it. Okay, now the second letter is different. The first letter was a letter from someone who knows Ravner quite well. Ravner can't help the person because it's a matter of the will. But the second question is from someone who Ravner didn't know at all. That is the second question. And we're going to see that for a different reason. Give an answer. This is letter 100. 135. Now we'll get 100. And Rafunder says, I'm going to answer very quickly. Why am I going to answer quickly? Because I care greatly about stormy soul. You obviously are a stormy soul. You are struggling with an issue. And I need to help the stormy soul. Okay, so says Ravunner says, among other things, Ravunner liked to give parables. So he says a very powerful parable. 
Okay, here we go. Just question. Ruven has shifting positions. The the ratio has gone a lot down. So uh, yeah. I oh, so you. I should move back. No, 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 no. As in, as in, uh, no. As uh, in, okay. Great. Okay, excellent. Hearing yeah. Guys, I also love the fact that Josh Milstein, he only listens to Shiram when he's wandering the streets of the south side of Chicago. Very good, Josh. Okay. Here we go, guys. I'm glad that it's better. Gunnar so, says the following, Mashal. It's a very powerful parable. He says there's a difference between wagon or buggy traveling in dry land and a ship traveling in ocean. What's the difference? The difference is as follows. When a buggy travels on the land, the buggy leaves a furrow. It leaves a trench. And therefore, any other car might come by and say, oh, I can follow the tracks. Right? You might even have some car that says, I don't know how to get there. But I see that the previous car turned here. I see where the tracks go, so I'll go there. So again, any wagon, any buggy, any car in dry land, tracks for car follows it. Okay, great. Then Funner says, that's not true about a ship. When a ship is in the ocean, the ship might be traveling for hours, for days, for weeks, but there is no mark left for the ships that follow. But the ocean just looks like the ocean. Okay, that's Rafutner's mashal. But then Rafutner says, this is very interesting. He says, when it comes to questions, some questions are more like the buggy and some questions are more like the ship. What would that mean? Well, if a question is more like the buggy, that means that if you've answered it for person one, you have a ready-made answer for person two, right? I've already dealt with this for person one. Let's just plug it in. Just follow the tracks. But if a question is more like the ocean, then you can't plug in your answer, right? The first ship might have made it there successfully. There is no remnant. There's no marker for ship. Now, that I think is a very powerful image. Rafutner is really good at this. And, of course, the question is, well, which questions are the first kind? Which questions are the second kind? Now, Rafutner is going to make a move that I'm actually going to ask, since I know we have a lot of highly intelligent people here. I'm going to ask you guys for help in one second. But before we make Rafutner's move, let me just do it a little bit not Rafutner-like. What might be two different kinds of questions? So if someone says to me, how do I have hot food on Shabbos? Right? What are the ways an Orthodox Jew could have hot food on Shabbat? I might not ask the person, well, tell me about your personality first. Tell me about your whole family structure. I might have one answer for everybody. I'll plug the same answer in for whoever asks me. And therefore, I might even say, oh, I already wrote an answer to student A. I'll just cut and paste and write the same answer to student B. But let's say somebody asks me, should I go to, I don't know, Brandeis or YU? So what if I don't think there's a definitive answer for every person in the world? And it depends greatly on who you are, right? What your interests are, what your personality is like, maybe even what your uh, is, what your worldview is, right? So at that point, I can't just cut and paste. I can't say, oh, here is what I suggested for student A, and this is my suggestion for you, right? That would be totally inappropriate because this is a question much more like the ocean, whereas it were, there's no remnant left for the next boat. And unlike the buggy, where it's the same basic problem. Okay, so then Rafutner says, this is really great. I'd love to help you because you're obviously in turmoil, although we don't know what the question was. But since this is more like the ocean, says Rafutner, I don't can't help you because I do not know you. And I think this is also really great because, again, famous rabbis are going to get a lot of questions. And often people will line up to talk to them even if they don't know them. 
And I'm not saying they can never help someone who doesn't know them. Sometimes they can. But what if it's the kind of question that you really do need intimate knowledge of the situation? So at that point, it's kind of funny to give an answer, right? I, I like to use this. I hope it's not making fun of any great rabbi. You know, there was a very famous rabbi in Bnei Brak named Chaim Kanievsky. And he really knew a tremendous amount of Torah. There's nothing like it. And there's some great stories about him. But let's say, I don't know, uh, they had a debate in the Wash U Beit Midrash, like joint events with the, the Reform and Conservative Jews or not. Like, what does Kanievsky know about the atmosphere in an American campus? Like, what does he know about Reform Judaism? Like, he's in Bnei Brak his whole life. I know how many times he ever spoke to a Reformed Jew or read about Reformed Judaism. So the fact that he knows a lot of Torah might not equip him to help. So if you understand this, this is a very personal question. I don't know you. And before, I can't really help you. Notice, before I guess my question to the crowd, we now have two limitations. Here we have someone who in theory, theory would be from a more authoritative worldview. What has the vendor said? Number one, um, I can't help you if it's not a matter of logic, if it's a matter of desire, the will, intuition, only you could answer that question. That was the first letter. Now we have a whole second category. Rebutner says, sometimes, I don't know, so maybe it's a logical question, but I can't apply the logic to your situation because I don't know you. Okay, so I love those two categories. Let me now throw a question to the crowd. I left out one piece, because I don't know what, Rebutner doesn't explain it, but I'm going to try it now and now, we always get great answers from, you know, no more Trump, so we're going to try now, and Josh Milstein, for that matter, and Avner, well, maybe all of you. Okay, here we go. So, Rav Hutner says that in our day and age, questions are more like the boat than the buggy, which means, I, the way I set it up was that, oh, it's just a question of what kind of question. Like, certain questions are universal, and other questions are individualized. But it sounds like Rav Huttner thinks something has changed in society. That 300 years ago, it was easier to cut and paste. The answer for A is the answer for B. And there's something about the modern world that makes questions more individualized. Now, questions that used to be like the horse and buggy, they used to be like the car, they're now like the ocean. So, unfortunately, Rav Huttner does not explain why. He just states it. So I actually don't know the answer. So I'm throwing it. Sometimes when you ask a question to a shear, it's because you actually want to know the answer. You don't know the answer. Does anyone have a suggestion why that would be? And what is Ravinder assuming? He's assuming that there's something about the modern world that has changed the nature of questions. That it once was easier to give a cookie cutter answer. Somehow that worked. And some of those questions that used to get a cookie cutter answer can no longer do so. There's something more individualized about the nature of the contemporary student. So if you don't have an explanation, that's fine, guys. Does anyone have a thought? Because I've been wondering for years uh, what Rav Hutner was getting at. What is wrong? I, I'm approving that. Josh Milstein, what do you think? Um, I mean, I think, first of all, in the modern world, with the, like, you know, influx of, of just individualism as, like, an ideal, um, there's sort of this, this, this idea that, like, there needs to be more individuality and also just the, 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 the I guess, you know, uh, transition from, like, highly like shtetl communal life where essentially right everyone's life was lived in complete parallel and like you know it was much easier to copy and paste from one person's life to another as opposed to the much more sort of dynamic uh specialized society that we have today where it's not really everyone living individualized it's sort of there's much more of a sense of individuality also just from the way that like the community is structured okay guys josh milstein you see why he got into university of chicago those were two good suggestions. I'm, I'm just going to review both of them. We'll see if anybody else has a suggestion. One might just be that modernity simply prides individuality more. 
But it's interesting, Josh, it might not mean that we're actually more individualized, but we've knew it more. Like we think about the world that more in that way. So that is an interesting point. I agree with that, actually. And the second point, I'll tell you what you made me think of. It made me think of actually the flight to suburbia. I'm going to do a tangent that has nothing to do with our shear, but it is interesting. Okay, so there's a famous book by Robert Putnam from Harvard called Bowling Alone, where Putnam argues that we no longer belong to clubs as much as we used to. And he thinks in the 50s and 60s, people belong to like the bowling club or a reading group, a book club. Have all these ebbs of association, and he thinks that contemporary people do not, or have fewer. Of course, the question would be why? If you're curious, guys, you could bowl them alone. There are a lot of statistics to back this up. But why would that be? So some of you will love this. Some of you, of course, no, we're just watching TV instead of getting in touch with other people. But he does mention the move to suburbia, right? Meaning if you live... Uh, if you live in a apartment building in the middle of Manhattan, you're going to interact with your neighbors, right? There's no way out of it. You're just going to see them in the lobby. You're going to see them in the elevator. Sort of things. You're going to see them downstairs at the local bodega. But if you live in a suburb in New England, how are you going to interact with like the person to the next, to the right, to the next of you? And what if you think lawn, right? So uh, how often do you interact with them? So the flight to suburbia might also have caused like, a, lesser set, a lesser sense of community. We can debate this point. Josh is saying maybe there are certain uh, intellectual or societal factors that have created a greater sense of individuality. Suggestion before I get to the third Rafunner piece about why Rafunner thinks things have gotten more individualized. Abner. This might not have been what he's hitting on, but I think the analogy still holds. I think that there's something about just the rate of change that's accelerated. So, oh, yeah, fair. excellent. Okay, that was excellent. See, everyone who's a parent, see how good Rebecca. You still with us? I don't know if you're still with us, Rebecca, because you turned your camera off. But look how good a right the students are. Okay, terrific. Okay, so ever know what I'm just saying? Like maybe oh, Rebecca, there you are. Great. Ever know people turn their camera off? What's going on? I'm eating. <laughs> I'm just eating. Oh, that's fine. That's fine. Please enjoy. Now, now you, Rebecca, you're making me hungry. I, I didn't get dinner yet. It's okay. It's really okay. You can keep your camera on and eat. It's fine. So in any case, as Avner's point is very well said, right? Just, I always amazed. Like, think about medicine. Oh, Avi Traum, this is for you. I do not know. Avi, are you interested in the history of medicine or just medicine? Oh, a bit of both. Okay, great. So tell me if you agree with this. I'm not sure how much medicine progressed in between from Galen and Hippocrates to 1500. Okay, we'll see if agrees with me. How much, how much great medical advances were made? None. I don't know if medicine even progressed at all. Bobby, does that fair? Or you think it's not fair? I think it's pretty fair. No one even discovered the cell until the microscope was invented a few years ago. There you go. All right. But if we look at, if I and I would look at this, you medicine in the last 200 years, or maybe 300 years, we'd be astounded at the rate of growth. Right, all these discoveries and bacteria, heart transplants, like it, it's unbelievable. Right, so that is a very stark example, the world of medicine. Uh, things also. And once that's true, it's hard to technology affects society, right? We're all affected by the computer, we're affected by social media. I'm not even getting to whether it's positive or negative. But at that point, change is getting more rapid. Very rapid. So maybe you know, just the right answer from 30 years ago. Might not be the right answer today. So maybe it's not so much that things are more individualized, but it's harder to have a stock answer. Very good, Avner. So both Avner and Josh have given some interesting suggestions. Why Ravutner feels this? Okay, we're going to go to the third Ravutner. Um, oh, Ruben, go ahead. What's your comment? Oh, sorry. Um, 
Just so you mentioned before, uh, you know, you're talking about reformed, and I guess this connects a little bit to to the rate of change, but also not just technologically, but hashkafically in terms of uh, the emergence of reformed and conservative. Because I've I've heard that Ramosha Feinstein would uh, make different uh, uh, socks for the the um, the more lenient communities versus the stricter communities. He would be strict with the lenient communities and more lenient with the strict communities because he would knew he would know that the stricter ones would would keep to the to the standard, whereas he gave a lenient to the to the more lenient ones. They would run uh, uh, with it. Um, so um, hold up, wait, I just. Um, Wait, just a second. Ruben, I'll, I'll, I'll I'm going to ask you for a favorite, Skate Ruben. Yeah. It sounds like it's a good question that's going to take us too far afield. Okay. So I think no I'm going to duck it for now, if that's okay. No worries. I'd like to speak in one last rough under. Okay. Just one quick question. Is the Glassman online? Is this Jacob or Jacob's dad? Because I see it says Glassman, but there's no picture. So you, you can also just give me a uh, write the answer also. I, ah, it's dad. Okay. Very good. I send my regards to your son and daughter in law. Okay. All right, here we go. Last rough under. Once we brought up individuality, there's a beautiful third letter. I'm not going to do this inside at all, but I'm just going to summarize it. I think you'll all really enjoy it, and then I'll summarize this year. Rav Hunter has a letter, which is actually the transcript of a speech he gave. Okay, apparently, there was a high school called the Yeshiva of Eastern Parkway. I don't know if it still exists, but Rav Hunter was giving a speech to these high school boys. And Rav Hunter says... I'd really like, he begins the speech by saying, I'd really like to speak to all of you individually, but I can't. And what do I do? Let's say the 150 boys there. I don't have time to meet you individually, so I'm forced to speak to you collectively. Okay, that's Rav Hutner's first sentence. And of course, you're wondering, what's he getting at? Why does Rav Hutner feel a need to start the speech by saying, I'd like to speak individually, but I can't? Okay, great. Then Rav Hutner makes a second move. He says that he really loves precise terminology. See, so Chaim Velazhin didn't like the term Hayeshiva, the students of Yeshiva. He liked the term, so you've heard B'nai Hayeshiva, children of Yeshiva, the sons of Yeshiva. And he says that we should call people B'nai Yeshiva, not Talmidei Yeshiva. If you're not sensitive to language, you think, what does it matter? Sons, students, we know who we're talking about. We're talking about the guys in the Yeshiva. But only language matters. Now, again, we, again, we have the two things in the background. First of all, um, he wants to speak to them individually. He likes this shift from Amidei Shiva to B'nai Shiva. Then Rav Hunter tells a story where he stops a kid and asks the kid a question. And I have to admit, the kid gives such a sharp answer that I'm wondering if Rav Hunter edited the kid's answer. Too good. But okay. Rav Hunter stops a kid in the hallway and says, you have a Rebbe who teaches you Torah. And you have, let's say, a social studies teacher, a biology teacher. What is the difference in your experience between the two? Rav Hunter has the kid answer as follows. Again, it's been a very precocious kid, or Rav Hunter played with the answer a little bit. The kid says, it's the difference between a nursing mother. When I go to the school cook and cook pours out food onto my plate, so the, the food is totally external to the person. It's like going to a teacher for a body of knowledge, right? The teacher has a certain amount of knowledge. You'd like to have that knowledge. So you get Line up and get the knowledge. Line up and get dinner. But when you get from a nursing mother, nursing mother is giving of her essence. It is not knowledge that is extraneous to her. It is knowledge. So just like in the food imagery, you're getting from her selfhood, as it were. 
right, the baby is getting directly from the mother. So too, and again, in it's a split between the Rebbe and the social studies teacher. I don't, like, I'm more modern orthodox than a runner. I think a social studies teacher could also be a nursing mother. But the point is, there's one case where the knowledge is almost as extraneous to the person. It has nothing to do with who the person is. It is not part and parcel of the person's personality. It's just knowledge they have. So knowledge is helpful. Knowledge is useful. You could line up and get the knowledge. But then there's a second case where it's a whole encounter with a person. Right now, hopefully in our Torah classes, we're encountering, it's not just someone who happens to know a lot, but the Torah values animate who they are. Right? And at that point, there's no easy break between the person and their knowledge. Okay, so if Hutner claims that's what this kid answered to the question, that my Torah teacher is like a nursing mother, and my secular studies teachers are like a cook. Now, again, I would say that your secular studies teacher could be like a nursing mother also. And unfortunately, your Rebbe could also be like the cook, right? Sometimes the values don't teach who they are. Okay, but be that as it may, let's go with that split. So then Rav Hutner says something amazing. Says Rav Hutner, why did Rav Chaim Velazhen want the term B'nai HaYeshiva? Because he wanted us to think of knowledge more like the nursing mother encounter and less like the cook. Cook can have Talmidim. A cook could have students. But only the nursing mother can have Yiladim, can have Banim. So Rav Hutner says, we want this to be a meeting of the minds, a meeting of personalities that the person teaches not just by the content of what they say, the person teaches by the content of who they are, by what their personality is. And therefore, we should use the term B'nai HaYeshiva to set up that kind of relationship and not Talmidei HaYeshiva. So that's our Fenner's point, the language, and then it gets even more beautiful. Says, Remember how did Rafutner start the point? Rafutner started the point by, start the lecture. He started the lecture by saying, I'd love to teach you all individually, but what can you do? I can't. Says Rav Hutner, a cook could dish out food simultaneously for 12 people, but a nursing mother can only nurse one at a time. And again, I think if you take the imagery, it's not just cute imagery. It's that if it's if it's just, again, here's the information, take it or leave it. There's no reason why you can't give over that information to a mass of people. Here's the information, take it or leave it. But if it's about a personality right? This is not just an inert piece of knowledge. This should impact in who you are. Well, that's true for the teacher, for the student. Imagine you're, you're talking about the inspiration. Let's say, we'll, we'll give you even two texts. Let's say you find a particular parak of Ishayo inspiring, right? So it's just you giving over a piece of information. You're trying to give over inspiration to the student. Or you love a certain poem by Wordsworth, right? A poem by Wordsworth about how you should, we all be more in touch with nature, right? So you want, in a certain sense, maybe you almost feel you can't even order 50 people. You want one student to sit there inspired. Right? You want one student, to, you want to see that his or her reaction to the poem. It, is he or she affected by it? So if this is the nursing mother, in reality, we can't do this. In reality, we have to teach 50 people at once or 20 people at once. But there would be some ideal of a one-to-one -one correspondence. That would be the ideal. So notice what Hunter's done here. He's given us in a little speech to the Yeshiva Eastern Parkway, He's given us almost a philosophy of education, that the ideal education, two things, would be not just inert knowledge, would not just be here's a body of information, but rather would be a very lively thing that has to do with the personality of the teacher. And secondly, in some ideal world, it would be totally individualized. Like Avner's needs are not just Muslim's needs, they're not Ruben Dersovitz's needs. But clearly, practically, we can never do that. Practically, we'd have to have a group-by-group -group, uh, engagement. But there is some ideal to be thought of. Now, let's put the whole sheer together, and I'll see if there are closing comments. And I just want to thank everybody for their patience.
we were able to overcome two technical difficulties tonight. One was that I was late because of the Zoom, and two was that in my initial seat in the office, there was bad uh, communication. But now I know exactly where to sit for next time. Okay, so thank you for your patience, everybody. But let's just review. Even though Rav Hudner, as I said, he was a creator of the in personal connections, many people will tell you he was part of the authoritarian. But I guess no, he's understood other parts to life, too. Notice we had tonight two categories where Funder said, I can't answer your question. Again, category one, it's not a logical issue. It's an issue of will, of the desire of intuition. Says Funder, how could an outsider answer that for you? No way. Only the person themselves could answer such a question. So he says, I'm not even going to give you etza, and I'm not even going to give you counsel. That was category one. What was category two? That was the imagery of the buggy versus the boat. Where says, in our day and age, more questions are like the boat. Meaning, it's not a cookie-cutter answer like the car. I'll just follow the tracks of the previous guy. Everybody has to treat the question individually. And for I don't know you, letter writer. I can't help you. So now we have two big limitations on rabbinic authority. And maybe the rabbi can't answer if A... It's a personal will question, not a logic question. And B, the rabbi doesn't really know the questioner. Right at that point, the rabbi could listen sympathetically, but can't really give an answer. Okay, great. Then we said once, and we had Abner and Josh's interesting suggestions, uh, how, why Rafa thinks that modernity is going more individualized. Very interesting suggestions they had. Is it technology, the rate of change? As Josh write that modernity just values individuality more? Okay. Then we had another letter, not a letter, a speech of Avunar, where Avunar came back to the individuality theme. What I like about this one is, in the previous letter, Avunar just said, we are more individualized. He didn't give it a value judgment. Now Avunar is giving a certain value to individuality, because he's saying, I'd love to speak to every student individually. And he had this model that a teacher should be more like a nursing mother than a cook. And the point is, there's something very personal about it. It's not just, again, as I keep calling it, the nerd body of knowledge, not just information. Oh, here's teaching. Take this bag of information. Oh, it's a meeting of personalities, a meeting of souls, and a meeting of minds. Ideally, that would be in a one-to-one issue, but we can't always do that. So we have, okay, I'll take closing comments here, but I think we have three fascinating things. Right, two limitations on rabbinic authority and a certain celebration of individuality, of education that touches the soul of the teacher and of the student. 